1: And welcome to All Behave. I am your host Brian Middleton, also known as the Bearded Behaviorist. And today we have Gina, a BCBA, who is joining us to talk about uh, Task List Item G9, which focuses on using discrete trial, uh, a free operant, and naturalistic teaching arrangements. Um, we're going to be focusing predominantly on naturalistic teaching arrangements. So, a future podcast come out focusing on discrete trial or free operant. Um, stay tuned, but they kind of all play together. And so this is something that we're going to touch on the other two, even though naturalistic is, is our primary focus today. Welcome Gina.
0: Hello.
1: Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Oh, so Thank um,
0: you. Thank you for having me. Cause this is super cool.
1: It is really cool. Um, so Gina, my understanding is that, uh, your favorite, um, approach to teaching is naturalistic also um an aka for that folks is incidental teaching Um, why is that
0: because it's not routed it's kind of it's kind of like it just occurs and it looks like we want the kids to fit into a social environment at Mm -hmm. least parents want Um, sitting them down at a table or wherever, and doing flashcards and things like that um, is not exactly how kids learn if you watch in your community. Yeah. So the best way to inspire that is to just let it naturally happen.
1: Yeah. Um one of the reasons I love naturalistic teaching and, and it's kind of my preferred approach too. Um not kind of, it definitely is, is because it generalizes so well. Um, it, is, it is less difficult to get a skill to generalize when you're learning in a natural setting because there's so many opportunities um, where you can do that. And so um, I do like to arrange the environment uh, so that those, those naturalistic things are available, like games and, uh, and things like that. And in fact, our center is working on uh, doing some decoration uh, and one of the things that I was like, let's have a shapes, numbers and colors room and and, and letters yeah. too. let's just let's cover the wall and shapes, numbers, letters and colors. And then kids can walk in and, and that's a naturalistic opportunity to be like, hey, show me red. You know, something like that, because then it's it's more uh, flowy.
0: I have uh, two granddaughters, both of them autism and our house is set up like that believe it or our apartment um there is tons of stuff on the walls it looks like they live here and we don't honestly um we have chair and tables with chalkboards on it just oh, as, as it can be but to create an environment that fosters as many learning opportunities as we can get
1: definitely So um, what are some examples, well, you mentioned a couple, you mentioned arranging the environment, and I did too, Um, but what are some ways that you utilize naturalistic teaching?
0: Um, I do a lot of play, so a lot of um, games I have, My analytic mind breaks everything down into pieces. Um, So when I go to a store and I look at a game, I'm like, oh, my gosh, we can identify colors. We can do counting. Um, This is sorting during cleanup. Mm -hmm. So there's many, many opportunities to get all of those lessons in there into one, um, really one big lesson. So it's like... For instance, I have a trouble game we have these little tiny pieces here and I will tell them, okay, you guys are going to be red, grab the red ones. Okay. And they have to grab the red ones out of the pile. And when they click the, you know, little, little bubble, whatever number they get, I will say, what number is that? And then the counting comes after. If they can't do it, you go right into, you know, giving them the answer. Mm -hmm. I'm not for an error correction of a hand-over-hand type deal. Um, That was in my practicum, and those days are over. Um, That's where you find that I think a lot of the trauma comes in. You have Mm -hmm. somebody grabbing the child and touching. They don't want you to touch them, and we need to respect that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It also depends on the individual, I will say, because there's some some individuals who find um, r- touch more reinforcing. But mm-hmm. regardless, my thing is is that there needs to be consent involved. Um, and and sometimes there's some skills like tying shoes where it's there need at the start because there's some struggles. Sometimes hand over hand is necessary, but it's always you can see if there's consent present or not. Um, I'll tell, I'll tell you a perfect example of that. Um, So a client I was teaching to tie shoes and I showed and and he struggled with it and he was non-vocal. So it it was kind of difficult for the communication because it, if he doesn't have the words in his proloquo or, um, or the sign language, then it's, it's kind of difficult to communicate. And so I looked at him and I said, can I tie the shoes with your hands on top of mine? And and he looked at me. He didn't nod, but he did, typically doesn't nod um, in his communication. And so what I did is I put my hands underneath his, and I tested to see if he was resisting, and and he wasn't. And he, and, and so I, I test a little bit more and I moved and I wasn't grabbing him. His hands were on top of mine and I moved and he moved with me and he kind of laughed because he thought yeah. it was kind of fun. And then I, and then I had his, his hands. Uh, so I showed him how to put his hand and fingers over mine and I tied while he tied with me. Um, and we did that three or four times, always, always being aware that if there was any resistance, I was ready to stop. And then... <clears throat> Once that had been accomplished three or four times, I said, would you like to try? And he reached out and he started trying. And um, he got stuck on a spot. And I said, can I help? And I've learned how to read the nonverbal that he does have to communicate. And it looked like there was consent. So I reached over and I, again, gently, this time my hand over his showed him how to get that one spot. Um, always ready to pull back if there was any amount of resistance. Um, And I I feel like that's something that we we poorly cover in in that aspect of prompting. um, Because, like, we have to have consent. If you don't have consent, then we turn into agents of punishment, not agents of reinforcement.
0: Well, and I really think that we need um, so... Before I became a VCA, I actually worked in a nursing home for many years, and one of the things we were taught is to read body language. Um, so, pain—there's a certain way that their face might wince, or mm-hmm. something—they're going to give you a look, and. When I first moved to Virginia and I started working with a company that was center based, it was kind of super cool because I had a nonverbal kid and they were like, oh, he doesn't know any of that stuff. And when they said that, he gave me the side glance, like, whatever. And she oh, does know it. Um, <laughs> And I learned that with the kids to watch their facial expressions because what you think they don't know because they can't talk, um, Mm -hmm. expressively or vocally, you, they do know. Yeah. And practicum, I had a, a kiddo with apraxia and I just loved him because he would get the sassiest looks on his face. And it was mainly because he was getting irritated, um, with the fact that they were having him do something he knew because they didn't think he knew it. (laughs) I finally told them, I'm like, one and done, just show us, you got this. And we're going to be done with this. Okay. I was like, you know, and he looked at me, he smiled, he pointed to it. We were done. I was like, yes.
1: (laughs) Sweet. (laughs) So that, that actually leads nicely back to the naturalistic versus discrete trial. Um, Mm -hmm. So discrete trial, um, or DTT, uh, is, is frequently referred to. Um, can you describe it in your own words, what that is?
0: As a distinct beginning and ending, um, taking a turn is a discrete trial. Um, and I think that like we talked about before discrete trial and naturalistic learning often gets confused. Mm-hmm. Like, some odd reason, um, people tend to think it's not a discrete trial if you don't do it five times or ten times.
1: Exactly. A, a discrete um, trial can just happen once and you move on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to sit at the table and, and repeatedly, like that drives, that's the part that drives me insane. And I tend to stay away from it a little bit um, more than I should, probably. Because it's really, really difficult when you have a full caseload and then all of a sudden you go a week later you're supervising and you're watching <laughs> your RBT like, show me the cat, show me the cat. And you're like, oh my God, I told you not to do this. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. So I try to explain to them, like we talked, oftentimes, um, you can combine the two. So you're going on a walk, you know that the neighbor's cat is always in the window, and you're kind of like, point to the cat, and then point over. That's still a discreet trial.
1: Exactly. And uh, likewise, like, so I had a client who loved movement, just, and, and again, nonverbal or non vocal rather um, lots of lots of loving to walk around and to move and whenever the weather allowed it we would go outside together and we would just do tons and tons of movement and you know the the BCBA this is when I was during my supervision time um, the BCBA was uh, had let me know um, that she was a little frustrated because a lot of people would be spending so much time at the table and then a, 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 because of that um, they would be spending tons of time on the iPad because that was his preferred reinforcer other than movement. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and so it was just like, well, yeah, iPad is definitely there and it's something you can do, but like, what about all the other stuff? And so I would use, um, I I would use movement as, as a a way of getting us to move around. And I, I I would, I did a stimulus control transfer, um, of starting with, the stuff that we did run the brand programs on the iPad. Um, so we'd be walking along like, Hey, show me this one. Hey, what's that one? What's this one? That sort of thing. Um, and yeah. then gradually as we were out in the natural environment, I transferred it to, Hey, can you point to the green? Um, where's the red? Where's the blue? Uh, and then I pull up the iPad with his proloquo. Cause that was something we were practicing and I'm like, Hey, what do you want right now? And he would, he would, you know, I want, walk or if he was done he he want you know he would do all done or he'd okay. indicate bathroom or whatever it is that he wanted to do at that time um, and one of his favorite things that we would do is go to the park that was really close to the center and he would climb to the top of it and just sit up there and enjoy the view it was really nice and I'd sit up sit with him and and I'd narrate and I'd talk with him and tell him about how I'm doing and ask him how he's doing and you know just do that conversation back and forth, and then every once in a while i I'd, I'd do a DTt trial, but i'd do one or two, yep. and then i 'd be done and and yes. you know and interestingly before uh, at the start of this whole thing that I did this, he was scared to slide down the slide um, by the time we were done uh, or by the time I had you know left to because our our company had opened a second center and they needed me at the South Center. Um, by the time I, I had left, uh, he was sliding down the slide four or five times while we were out there. He was enjoying himself. He was laughing. It was all about engaging in the natural environment. Um, even when we were doing DTT, it was engaging in the natural environment. And like you have mentioned, and like uh, while we were talking, like it doesn't need to be mutually exclusive. It's just like you said. There's a there's a discrete beginning and end, and that's a trial.
0: There you go you're done yeah Um, i I just went through this recently where it was like um and my the regional director the company i work for she is amazing like she is probably i always say that she's a great mentor for me and she's like you just do this so naturally and i'm like yeah because i'm a 45 year old child I love to play. That is probably my favorite thing to do in the world. And when I realized that I could help kids learn just by playing with them, I was like, this is my career for the rest of my life. Um, But she tells me that one of the biggest things that she sees is a lot of uh, our staff just doesn't know how to play.
1: Yeah. (laughs)
0: It's like we, and we forget to have fun. Um, it's got to be a job. It's got to be, you know, if you're not having difficulty, you're not doing your job, and that's not true. Um,
1: yeah. Well, Learning
0: I'd, should never be difficult.
1: That actually relates to one of my, uh, one of my heroes who, unfortunately, recently passed away, um, Sir Ken Robinson. Uh, if you ever get a chance, if you, ha- if you don't know him, uh, his TED Talks are amazing. And, and he and he talks about how school um, unteaches imagination. It it, it it basically programs imagination out of us. Uh, and and he talks about some different things there. And um, I, I had opportunity to meet him once, and it was definitely a pleasure. And and uh, I did get a chance to meet a hero. And he's definitely he was definitely a human being who was worthy of being a hero, um, yeah. in my opinion. Uh, but uh, that. That, that idea, that concept, we need to learn how to enjoy ourselves, learn how to engage with our environment and have play. And sometimes we get too stuck with the, well, I got to get this done. I got to move from this point to this point to this point. And it's like, well, can't you have both? Can't you enjoy yourself while you're moving towards your destination? Um, and uh, somebody actually pointed out to me that uh, I'm always smiling and I'm like, well, that's not necessarily true. I, I do have the, the full expanse of emotions that I feel. And I've been through clinical depression. So I know, I know what it's like to, to not feel. And, and when I feel sadness, I feel it. And when I feel angry, I do feel angry. Um, but it's always moving towards my values. And I feel like you and I share this value that naturalistic teaching NET uh, really needs to be um, pushed as a, as a skill that everybody should be using, not just, not just therapists, not just BCBAs, um, parents, teachers. Um, school is, is really aversive. We need to figure out a way to help teachers see that they can, they can play. Kids can learn through play. Well,
0: I'll, I'll give a little example of that So when I, I was in school Math was like my horrible Horrible subject and so The solution to that Was me spending a summer at a kitchen table um, Memorizing math facts Over and over again and it got to the point Where I would see a math book And I couldn't breathe mm-hmm. um, That hindered me in my college Career because algebra Was like the monster under the bed <laughs> um, until I met a, a professor that was like, hey, let's get out some colored pencils. Let's have some fun with this. Um, all of the minuses are this color. Let's make this colorful and bright. And it became engaging for me. And then it was errorless learning. Let's find something that's identical to this in the solutions manual. And here's how you do it. And now break it down. And now I can whip out algebra like it's not an issue and it's no longer aversive.
1: Yeah. and. Um actually i'm going to i'm going to use an example from my special ed days um so i had a a student diagnosed with asc um, and he would cry a lot and the teachers didn't know what to do because they were used to like angry they were used to um tantrums things like that but crying they just couldn't understand and and so i i talked with the teacher and i said um how about we, we do a little ABC data here? Let's figure it out. When, it, when does he start crying? And it was always around math. Um, like without fail, math was it. Um, there were a few other times where he got, he, he, I hypothesized he would get a little frustrated or anxious and he'd cry around other things, but the consistent thing every day, math when it came up, start crying. So um, the good news was my classroom was right next to hers. So I said, "How about you send him over, and he can hang out with me, and uh, we'll work on math." And, and I and and she, she's such a wonderful teacher. I said to start with, I don't want to do math with him. To start with, I just want him to be with me, and we can hang out, and and that way I can build that. Now I know what it's called, pair bond or pairing, but I build that rapport with him. And she was very flexible with that and, and his I, we allowed for his IEP for assignments to be excused. Um, and I tricked this kid into mastering algebra through a game on my iPad. Yep. Um, this game is called Dragon Box 12 Plus. There's also a Dragon Box 7 Plus for younger ages. Um, okay. And it, it's, it's, like, it's like if Cut the Rope and um, other puzzle games like that were turned into a math game and it's fun. Like I played it for hours because I was like, this is really fun and like I'm pretty good at math but this, one made, this, this game made me better math. And to start with it, it starts with just little fun symbols and things like that. And it, it's got the stimulus prompts and all the other things that are built in that, that games do so well. Um, and uh, the little dings and bings and all the little sounds that, that are highly reinforcing. Um, and after like going through three or four levels, they start introducing in math symbols instead. And after five days, of doing that, just just a week worth of intervention. Um, he was about to get up to come to my classroom for math, and the teacher had written an algebraic equation on the board, and he goes, I know this, this is Dragon Box, and he walks up in front of the class without being invited, grabs the, the marker out of her hand and solves the equation.
0: Awesome.
1: And the teacher was so shocked, and um, he he would still visit me from time to time uh, during math time, but it was because he wanted to, not because he was crying. Um, And and he the teacher was again very flexible with that. So she'd say he'd say, "Can I go see Mister Middleton? He's really good at helping me," and. I miss that boy. He's such a good kid. Um, and and he would come over and we would sit down and I'd be like, how can I help? And he, we'd, we'd work through the math problem together. And it all started with naturalistic teaching that had DTT incorporated because that's what video that's games cool. do. Video games actually are um, predominantly DTT, um, but it's introduced in such a way that it's not aversive.
0: Yeah. And that's the same with um, any type of turn taking game. Um, I have, like, I'll show you this one is Community Helpers, bingo. <laughs> um, I love this game. You can address pronouns on here. Um, you can, it's good conversation. I mean, you're not just calling out the bingo, but you might ask, like, hey, where do florists work? at a flower shop. It's very natural. It's... I mean, but I think, too, when I look at all of this in a whole, the time investment to create (laughs) games or purchase them, um, it's a lot. And people... It might be too much and for me I'm just like oh my gosh is after Christmas sale I'm buying everything under the Sun and I have a giant shelf where everything goes um, only because I don't ever want a child to feel about me like I felt about the people that taught me at a young age
1: <laughs> yeah well and, and a big part of that is that we want the child to be open to learning and in behavior analysis is education. Like it's, it's the, it's the science of learning. And, um, we forget that sometimes we, we miss the point and, um, we need to remember that we're human and that humanity is a huge part of what we do. And if we, if we lose touch with that, if we get so abstract that we're like, well, the subject, I'm like, well, yeah, like I'm the subject and the scientist when I, when I use self-management tools on myself, but I still have compassion for myself. Like yep. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dehumanize the other, uh, the other person just because there's a science the word science is included with our science. Um, and anybody who does that loses the, loses the point because um, as uh polyglove's, said last night when I was talking with him, um, <laughs> this is the science of helping. Yes. Like applied behavior analysis. The, the, the very first word, applied. We're applying it to help, to address the problems. And if we lose sight of that, then we've lost sight of the entire objective. And that's where the trauma comes in. The, because we're, we're not helping them, the person we're serving, we're, we're helping serve some other cause,
0: Yep. And I, I see that all too often. It's, you know, I always say one day, I, w- I would love to open up my own center and just run it the way that I want to do it. Um, because when you're working for other people, you're doing it their way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you, you get that gray area where you can argue, but a corporate policy is a corporate policy. And I think that's where a lot of BCBs run into some issues. So, if your employer tells you to run X amount of DTT and then they want you to do NET and they want you to do it this way and you have to follow that procedure, I have that oppositional defiant component where I'm like, nope, not happening. And I don't care if you write me up because, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to hurt my feelings if I know what I'm doing is right. But then you have other people who are, I would say, overly compliant, and they don't question that. They just do it. Yeah. And I'm not saying everybody should just go tell their job. Um, (laughs) Oh, well, but, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. If something doesn't feel right, and if you wouldn't want it done to you, don't do it to somebody else.
1: Well, and, you know, it's it's a – it's a there's um, contingencies in play with that because like, you know, behavior analysis applies no matter what. And uh, the contingency in play there is that um, the person who's scared to speak up is, is um, avoiding losing their job. Um, they're, they're avoiding, um, they probably have a history of punishment um, related to speaking up. And so, therefore, they don't want to do that. And it, they also have a history of reinforcement for complying and that sort of thing. And, and that's the number one thing that I, I always make sure that the, the RBTs I work with understand is that, yes, I have the BCBA behind my name. Yes, I have the, the master's degree and the postmaster cert and all that other education. That doesn't mean that they're not behavior analysts. Their right. observations are very important. And I would be an idiot if I dismissed them. Um, I
0: always call it a collaborative team. And what I say is like we have a lump of clay and we slap it on the table and we start to mold that lump of clay. And, you know, it looks great. But then all of a sudden we have 10 other people that have these wonderful ideas. If we just stop there, it's always going to be that one lump of clay. And science is always evolving. Mm-hmm more input we have and even if the idea is not grand and believe me I've had some ideas where it's like eh, if he somebody that can add on to it and just turn it into something that's totally amazing and that person could be your neighbor it could be an RBT just because you have the letters to me that means absolutely nothing I never ever And I tell them all the time, I'm like, if you have an issue, if I did something wrong, like, please tell me, like, don't be afraid to point it out and be like, Hey, you know, you were supposed to put this and you put something totally different in there. Cause I can change it. I can't change something. I don't know about.
1: Yeah. Well, and and I will say that I got to brag on my center director. Um, She's, she's amazing. Um, So right now I'm, I'm I'm freshly minted DCBA so I'm waiting for the insurance to approve me and all that oh, so
0: Congratulations. I, <laughs> thank
1: you. <laughs> and, and and I get I get to the the pleasure of being the uh, I've dubbed it the code monkey of the uh, of the center because I'm doing a lot of the authorization reports um and in a lot of the, the, the testing and, and assessments and stuff like that, that have to be done. And so I'm spending quite a bit of time in front of the computer, which is kind of exhausting. Uh, I, but you know, they they keep, the BCBAs keep on to, uh, the other BCBAs keep on telling me, don't, don't burn yourself out, take a break, go do other stuff. Like, and that sort of thing. So that's really cool. Um, but that means that I get to, Go through quite a bit of the programming and, and authorizations and stuff, and there's been more than one time that I've spotted eye contact programs, um, and and this is the this is the value of rapport building because I built the rapport, and then I've gone to the those other BCBA's, and I'm like, can we remove these 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 need to be altered or removed. Like we can't, we can't be eye contact is not okay. We need, we need to be focusing on um, more um, naturalistic. So body orientation is what I like to call it because eye contact really doesn't happen as often as people like to make out. It does. Um, It's actually more like if I'm sitting and doing something and my wife says, Hey, Brian, if I slightly sit up, after she says that, that tells me that, that tells her that I'm listening. That's a body orientation. Um, it, that doesn't mean I have to turn all the way around, sorry, turn all the way around. I've moved away from Mike, <laughs> uh, to, to be able to indicate that I'm listening. Um, and that's, and, and that's just learning nonverbal cues. And so, um, I learned this pretty early on as a special ed teacher, even before I got introduced to behavior analysis, Eye contact, should only be something that we have as a goal if the individual, not the family, okay, not the insurance, the individual wants it. Because I've, I've had a couple people who um, have said, I want to learn how to be able to make eye contact easier. And, and so that's, that's the goal. Um, that i that i i put in because they asked for it not because yeah i'm being told or they're being told they need to learn it and i will throw out there if you guys want to do a naturalistic way of making eye contact non-aversive get a dog oh because uh dogs are the only species on this planet other than human that when we make eye contact with them and they make eye contact with us not only is um dopamine release, but serotonin, which is the relationship drug, or is it oxytocin? It's oxytocin. I'm so sorry. Uh, I always mix those up. Um, and, uh, I didn't have that problem with eye contact because my parents had dogs when I was a very young from like, as soon as I was born, they had a dog. I remember her, her, um, his name was Chester. Uh, he's a black lab I, I don't remember much about him but I remember I really enjoyed playing with them and um, my parents would be playing with him too and they'd be looking at me and looking at the dog and looking at me and that incidental eye contact happened in that naturalistic setting and it created that pairing of eye contact so eye contact's less of an issue for me it's still uncomfortable uh, with other people with people I don't know um, I but, think
0: another cool way of making eye contact too is making funny faces um my granddaughter my oldest granddaughter is kind of a lot like I am so she won't uh she won't look at people when she hugs she'll come to you forehead kisses I think it's precious and I absolutely love it wouldn't change it for the world um the way that we got her to look at us was we would make like the most ridiculous faces in the world and she thought it was hilarious and in that moment she would look at us and then she would do it back and it, it was awesome and she doesn't have i mean i don't either so i mean but one of the things i told my daughter is it's like please don't push her for eye contact because i remember growing up in school and just crying like mm-hmm. quit at people um, college even Like, you need to look at people during presentation or you're going to get doc X amount of points. And, I mean, mid-presentation, I'm in tears because I just simply cannot do
1: it. Yeah.
0: And the more you look at people, the worse that anxiety gets brewing. And it's, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's there's some naturalistic ways to, to increase or decrease the discomfort, but at the same time, there needs to be a a cultural understanding of body orientation is more important than eye contact. And if the individual doesn't want to make eye contact, then guess what? They don't want to make eye contact. It's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, what really matters is the fact that somebody was looking at you or that you had a really awesome conversation or a really cool presentation. And, you know, if they made eye contact twice during the, the presentation or the conversation, awesome. Like yeah. at the end of the day, it, do, it doesn't hurt anyone.
1: Exactly awesome. Um, well sorry, go ahead.
0: And gameplay too. I mean, if you're playing games a lot of times like if kids are successful and they beat you, they love to celebrate that and you will get eye contact naturally right there as they're telling you like aha, I won, you know, boom, there it is. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of when it's comfortable for them, yes. But well, Eye contact holding something next to you like look at me look at me like no
1: that's not comfortable that's that's (laughs) and that's
0: weird it's not even (laughs) even natural (laughs) it's it's (laughs) natural never in your life are you ever going to go into public and somebody is going to take something look at me like Oh.
1: If they do, I'll look at them real weird. Like, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> well, and that that was kind of me. And they they tried to explain it like, well, eventually, you know, we hold it. But then what you've seen are kids that had that five second stare, and it's like, that's awkward too.
1: Mm-hmm. Not
0: only is it awkward, but if I have to stare at somebody for five seconds, I'm probably I'm not gonna have a behavior because I'm I'm not three, but I'm probably going to have some high anxiety and some other stuff going on throughout the day. That's going to contribute to me not having a good day. Yeah. You know, the rollover is huge.
1: It is huge. So you've mentioned a de- uh, uh, gameplay and I want to, I want to kind of throw this out here because um, this is kind of a pet peeve of mine um, when it comes to, to games uh, a lot of people get stuck on electronic versus non electronic um, and and uh, I'm a big fan of both because mm-hmm. First off, there's this kind of conception of, well, they spend so much time on electronics. They really shouldn't be doing so much of that. And I'm like, well, first off, that's a natural reinforcer. So why are you not using that to help them learn? And, and second, um, that's, a, that's a pairing opportunity. So why aren't you helping that to pair? And, and finally, um, like, electronics are here to stay.
0: Thank like, you. Is... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, yes.
1: <laughs> this is going to be in their future as adults. And it's real and it's a part of your life. So it's not about let's not do that because you're doing too much of it. It's let's learn how to use this to help ourselves. And um, I... I, I, I made this argument and, and my center got a uh, Nintendo Switch and, and Super Smash Brothers and Sports Party and all these other games. And each kid has their preferences and I go play with them and, and they play with me and my, my RBTs do the same thing and we have fun. And um, we have a token economy where like, it's, there's a cost involved with being able to access it. Um, and they earn those. But guess what we also did? We made it so that if you, the cost is the same, whether you play with a group or with an individual, but if you play with a peer, you can split the cost. Nice. So the more peers you have involved with playing the game, the more opportunities you have to um, learn how to, uh, to, to work with each other. And when kids have arguments, we don't stop them. Unless it yeah. starts getting to the point where like there could be harm done or, or, you know, name, if name calling comes out, then that means we need to, we need to do a small intervention. Cause as soon as we get to that point, that means that we're, we're kind of degrading in our communication. Um, but we, we let them argue and solve it. And then if we need to, we support, um, and, and one of the things that I love about this is like, our center also has a policy that we, we don't use punishment, um, Unless it is the only option, and only after we have multiple BCBA's review, and um, and and even then, we we shy away from it, and and that includes response cost. So, um, if if we have kids arguing, or we have somebody you know rage quit, um, or you know throw down a, a controller or something, we pause the game, we solve the problem, and we go back to it. Yep like it's not removal, it's, it's temporary removal. It's saying, Hey, this is a timeout. Let's figure this out. We solve it. All right, let's go back to it. And we I actually always call
0: it a break. A break. Yeah. <laughs> Take it yeah. a break. <laughs> Take it a
1: break. And, and yeah. then we, and then we move back to it. And, and uh, the other side of that is that like, we, we had actually um, some kids who threw some elbows at each other and, and, and got, and, and had some name calling. Like we weren't quite fast enough to pause it and, and that sort of thing. But um, so there were tears and there was some anger. And then in this particular circumstance, we worked it through, we solved it. They took ownership of their part in the situation. They let them, the other person know how they felt. And then I was like, you know what? You guys did such a great job. Not only do we get to go back to the game, I'm adding 10 minutes. Perfect. Because it's all about reinforcing those behaviors, and that's naturalistic. And
0: well, and it, it's really you're, you're not giving attention to the negative behavior, but you're reinforcing the behavior that you want to see, and that is the whole purpose of what we do. And, exactly. and parents and everybody argue, like, so we're just supposed to ignore getting slapped. Well, you know, you're you're gonna block and redirect, but you're gonna give very, very minimal attention to that. Mm-hmm. It, then, when they come to you and they say you're sorry, you know, they're sorry. Um, I didn't mean to do that. You know, next time I'll I'll ask. At that point, you're gonna give all the attention and reinforce mm-hmm. because.
1: And, that's and the- and the attention that needs to be given in that time is well, I was feeling really sad or mad when you hit me. It, it's it's thank you for taking ownership of that. Yeah. And and I understand how you feel. Like that that's that can be really frustrating. Thank you.
0: Like, and I always say, what do you think that we could do next time? Exactly. And if they can't tell me, I'll ask them, Well, is it okay? Can I give you some ideas? Sure. Mm-hmm. All right, well, you know what? We could walk away. We could shut the door. And getting people to honor that. If somebody is angry, let them walk away for crying out Yeah. Do not go chasing. Get back here at the table. All right, now you just asked to have your rear end handed to you, and mm-hmm. I'm not say a word about it. <laughs> because if I'm that angry and you come chasing after me and trying to force me to do something, we are human beings. We have a fight or flight. We can only be pushed so far before we go back into what I call like a primal mode,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and the primal mode is to fight, like to get it away, and
1: or to get out of the get out of the spot where you're stuck. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if, if we let them have, I, I just say, Hey, ask for a break quick. Okay. Can I have a break? Absolutely. You know, go to the other room, shut the door, get your 10 minutes. Or if you need an hour, you have to take an hour. I mean, we cannot determine, we teach perspective taking. And I said this in my comment, we teach perspective taking yet. We don't take the perspective of the client we work with. Yeah. Just what we preach model the behavior we want to see yeah. how can we determine what is appropriate break for them you know that's something we need to measure how long does it take them to calm themselves
1: yeah
0: you know might we want to give some input on like okay you're overstimulated right now <laughs> you're, yeah. you're 100 different emotions and me having anxiety i know what that feels like yeah and two things happen. You either explode or you shut down. Thankfully, I'm the shutdown person. Like, three days, I'll be gone. Like, leave me alone. I need to gather my brain together and process this. Um, that came from, really, people pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And it's like I asked you nicely to just give me a break. And now my brain is in severe overload. It's overheating. Smoke's coming out of my ears. And I. Um, we need to give the, these... These are not tiny little robots these are yeah. children and they're human beings and they deserve the same sort of respect that we expect each other you know to give each other and so if they need a break we need to honor that and we need to understand that we might be able to take 5 minutes to get it together because we have the skill set they don't we cannot teach the skill set in a heightened State so we have to wait for them to yeah. bring themselves down, and then put that teaching procedure in. Otherwise, it's aversive, and they're never ever going to learn it.
1: Yeah, and um, I, I don't. I don't just study behaviorism because behaviorism it's wonderful. Radical behaviorism is amazing. It's a fantastic science. Um, but radical behaviorism is a science of description. We describe what we see, which means we don't try to explain. We just try to describe. So there are other sciences out there. There are sciences of explanation that coincide. And the and, um, be, radical behaviorism can improve those sciences and vice versa. So um, I love studying um, endocrinology. Uh, I love looking into neuro- neurology and neuroscience, neuropsychology, that sort of thing. And so what's happening when somebody is escalated is they've got um, and if, if I get any of these wrong, it's okay. Like it's, I'm not perfect. Please don't quote me. Like go study it yourself. But they've got, uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine yep. and cortisol coursing through their body when they're escalated. And there is a actual slope because when that's in your system, you don't, you can't just shut it off. Nope. Um, you can, you can do things, uh, you can learn skills that can help you manage it. But those are skills that even adults struggle with. And so I wouldn't expect a child who has had, you know, not a lot of experience in their life to, to, to know this. Um, I wouldn't expect uh, uh, most teachers to know this because they don't have opportunities to practice and learn it. And they've, that, they've got education and years of experience behind them sometimes. So it's, it's affording that humanity and understanding it from a scientific perspective. And where the where where trauma comes in on this is the neurological effect, and the neurological effect is is pretty bad when it comes to an adult. like you can have negative, really bad negative effects in on the neurological network when an adult experiences trauma, but when it's a child, that's when they're um, neuro um they're most neuroplastic when when their their brains are most flexible, which means that if we take the wrong approach, um, we can cause really big damage. And if the wrong approach was taken before because somebody made a mistake, because parents and teachers and, and people make mistakes, and then we perpetuate that mistake, and we increase that neural network, and then we're adding to that damage, and instead of there being a chance for recovery and, and, and for the individual to be able to lead a life that they want to lead, now instead they're responding to their environment, and it's creating an, an, an environmental mismatch is, is the term that uh, applied contextual behavior scientists use, um, which I love. It, it, it's. i I'm, I think I'm a an ACBS guy, because uh, <laughs> I love all this cross disciplinary stuff. Um, I do too.
0: Yeah.
1: If, if you ever want to, um, if you haven't had a chance to, uh, I check uh, check out uh, David Sloan Wilson, This View of Life, amazing book, it, amazing perspective. Um, but yeah, so uh, if if you if you have that environmental mismatch, then what happens when they go out into the real world? they struggle and they suffer and it makes things worse for them and for everybody around them. And, and that's I think a big part of the challenges that we face in as a society is we get, we get so wrapped up in, well, they need to take perspective. They need to figure out how to do perspective. Well, what about us? Yeah. Like do as I say and as I do. Right. I mean, that's sort of,
0: I, I remember when I was in classes, like, um, and it wasn't that long ago, because I'm just going on, I did two years, the BCA BA, and then two years as a BCBA, because honestly, I'm sure I wanted to be <laughs> a BCBA, and my undergraduate was more on the clinical psych track. Um, what made me switch was really, I didn't believe in just medicating people, calling it a day. Um, yep there had to be a way to change behaviors and when I was introduced into the behavior psychology component I was like oh my god this is golden Mm -hmm. do we need medication sometimes to open that door for us absolutely but instead of increasing medication after increasing medication let's try to find the root of the problem while we have the door open and work with it um I look at all of that stuff but when I got into this field I was just like whoa pump the brakes here um I'm not a drill sergeant Uh I'm not here to bark orders so I in my mind was like I need to figure out if there's another side to this and so I started doing research and I found Dr. Hayes and I found um Russ Harris and and people like that and I'm like okay this this is my groove, this, these are my people, I understand and can relate, and I ended up <laughs> kind of on, where I had some BCBAs tell me that ACT is not ABA, and I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm pretty well, sure I wrote my paper and math, in my master's program on the seven dimensions and ACT, so yeah, I think yeah. I,
1: it is. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> yes. Well, and, and this, is, this is the point that I like to make with ACT. ACT is self-management skills. Mm-hmm. Like ABA, a big part of ABA is self-management, right? That's, yep. Those are some, the, there's a lot of research that's been done on that and what ACT is. So ACT, folks, if, if, folks, if you're not familiar with it, is, accept, is acceptance and commitment therapy or training. The T can stand for either. Um, and uh, it, there's six discrete skills that you can learn. And you can practice them, and it increases, as ACT individuals would call it, psychological flexibility. Um, and it works really well. And it's based off of an experimental analysis theory called relational frame theory, which is a continuation of the research that uh, in and theorization that B.F. Skinner proposed under verbal operands. So... It, it, it is as ABA as you can get. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Without... thank you. <laughs> so, um, and, and in fact, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out here. I hope you don't mind, Gina. Um, oh, Never mind. I'm, I'm actually starting a second podcast called Act Naturals, the Act Natural podcast. Um, and yes. I'm going to be having Stephen Hayes coming on in, that podcast in November. Um, so I'm really excited because Stephen Hayes is, is one of the, the main researchers that started the process of of uh rft and act there were others Mm -hmm. and i don't want to throw anybody out the door um and i'm hoping to to get a a, quite a few of those other folks out there uh to participate and i have some other people lined up um who have participated in the research and, and and that sort of stuff but um that is actually a perfect example of naturalistic because uh you can you can use um ACT principles and teaching these skills in naturalistic settings. So you can also do it in contrived settings, of course, and you can also, you know, try to do some DTT style stuff with it, but because this is a self-management skill, and, and these are skills that that we can learn to, to manage ourselves, um, it's really important that you practice it naturally. Um, and... Uh, anybody who's familiar with ACT, well, there's a lot of verbal components to it. It's it's a it's it's hugely connected to verbal. But I have incorporated ACT into working with with clients of all levels. I've I've incorporated using it with uh, non-vocal clients. I've incorporated using it with little kids, with with tweens, teens, adults. It, it's it's really important and, and also it's really important for my own health. Yes.
0: Yeah. When when we get stuck and and our kiddos um they get that level of which I mean I can totally relate when things are not fun and things are not engaging and learning becomes very aversive you get that pushback and some people will call it oppositional behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really that it's so miserable and aversive that they just don't want to do it. And I had a, <laughs> I had an incident in school where it took me much longer to write my paper because the person that was reviewing my paper was a tad aversive to me. Mm-hmm. And ACT actually helped me work through the fact that I just had to accept that was his personality and move on. <laughs> Um, get it done, because me not doing what I really love to do and want to do is actually holding me back. Yeah. You know, and it's teaching the kids that, yeah, um, you're not always going to have the greatest teacher or the greatest person that's going to make everything so much fun. Sometimes you just got to push through that little bit and make it fun in your own, or make it fun in your own way. Um, yeah. I mean, there's been times where I've been in classes where it sounds like the dry eyes commercial <laughs> I gotta figure out a way to do this because my gosh if I don't I'm never going to retain anything and yep. I mean ACT gives you that tool set that you're not stuck yeah. but it's time to learn <laughs> and it's not easy to apply to yourself all the time
1: so um kind of bringing it back around again to the the uh, naturalistic versus DT and how mm-hmm. they don't have to be oppositional to each other um, You and I talked about this a little bit but I felt like the audience might want to know about this so tracing um, tracing is a big deal um, because it's it's a uh, a cusp behavior that that yep. leads towards um, being able to do other things like writing and drawing and mm-hmm. so many different things there and um, I had a client who, hated the tracing program, just hated it. And we would use a whiteboard marker on a laminated sheet and he was supposed to trace and do all these different things. And it was just so aversive. And um, this client loved goats and would talk about goats all the time. And, And so I was like, Hey, you got to keep your goats inside the the pen. Can you draw draw the fence so the goats can stay inside? And uh, that worked the first few times, but then he wanted the goats to get out. So I was like, okay, well, how about there's a monster that you're trying to get protect the goats with? And uh, you know, so he now it's to keep the monster inside the pen. And then that that transitioned to it was right about Halloween time, so it's now we want to save the village from the monster, and, and then uh, you know all sorts of things like that and we mastered that program so fast because I showed the other RBTs uh, because I was RBT at the time, um, how to do it. And it was, it was done across multiple people. And then there was a point where, um, I put the sheet down and I, I, and the marker down, I turn around to grab something out, uh, grab something else. And I turned back and he traced all of them. He's like, look, I got the monsters in and You didn't have to help me.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, And that's like the moment you live for. It's just like more reinforcing than anything else is, is seeing something that, you know, is either boring or they don't like. And then all of a sudden they're like wanting to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's amazing. Sorting is one of the ones that I am like, oh my gosh, um... Dumping stuff out, sort, sort, over and over again. Like, stop. Um, the one way that I found to naturally present that is clean up. And mm-hmm. I want these items here and these items here. And you teach them to naturally sort. So when we clean up toys, um, I have like these little bears in the cup or whatever, and I'll play a game with them. And then I'll be like, all right, clean up. All the blue bears go in here, all the purple bears go in here. And they're sorting naturally without even, uh, <laughs> because I had clients that I'd walk in, they'd look at me, they'd dump the cups, and they'd say, sort. And they <laughs> so I was like, oh my god, no. Um, well,
1: and, and uh, thought,
0: it's not generalizing, you know, it's just stuck,
1: yeah. Well, and there, there's other ways to do that too, along with that, like it doesn't have to be just cleanup. Because I was thinking, like, Legos. Legos yep. have multiple colors and things. And so we're building something together. And this is also parallel play and uh, w- uh, one, to however many step instructions that you want. You could do, you could do ro- multiple types of programs along this line, but it's like, hey, we're building this together. Can you hand me five yellow blocks? Uh, I need two green ones. Can you get me some green ones? Hey, what do you want me to get for you? Like don't don't forget to take a turn. Like you don't want to be the only one placing demands. You get you yeah. they're, they're human, so you got to let them be able to place demands too, and and you show that there's some give and take there. And uh, Legos are a good example. Blocks. Um, there's so many different natural um, ways to play. Um, you can you can be playing in sand, and you can have sand molds and shovels. And you can say, hey, can you hand me the green one, or. Mm-hmm. Uh, how how tall a pile can you make? Let's make a tall pile together, and let's yeah. see how many blocks tall it is. Like there's some counting. Um, so many different ways. It's it's limited by our imagination, and that's the thing that I love about naturalistic teaching. Is it's <clears throat> literally limited limited by our imagination. So play. Yeah. Used to it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's my thing is like let's let's go to work and have fun. Um let's teach these kids to have fun. Let's remind them that life is wonderful and learning occurs from the time we wake and probably even in our sleep. I mean it has to be fun. And when fun it sticks. Um you get that boring dry eyes professor. They, you don't remember anything, but you get that one that danced around the the front of the classroom and drew things in great colors and came in just like a clown. You're going to remember everything he said.
1: Uh, uh, professor Singh. I remember him. He, uh, history teacher, one of my favorites actually, uh, he would jump up on the table. He was a, a Hawaiian ra- uh, raised, uh, Chinese American. Um, and uh he, he actually served in Vietnam. Uh and and so he had quite a fun a few interesting stories there. But he would get passionate and he would get animated and and you know he wasn't a very tall man, but he'd jump up on the table. And I missed this class, unfortunately. It was it was the next semester, but he got so animated he he put his fist down on the podium and he shattered the glass. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we we had a, a professor at Northern um Jeremy Beesbrook, and he would re- reference South Park. Um, like, Timmy was the, <laughs> the <laughs> ethics person. And to this day, I mean, that was a class that I struggled with. But I can tell you, I can remember the do's and don'ts. And I can hear his voice saying that. Or he would make us like, huh? up, <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it was, the, it was all about the presentation and engagement. So, I mean, I think that you need to remember that as we're teaching children, we're going to have to get silly, we're going to have to, and I think another part of that too is like a lot of, so I'm just going to call this out because that's what I do. So a lot of companies have these extreme dress codes. <laughs> <laughs> they want you to go in there looking like a business professional, you are playing with kids. Mm-hmm spit on you're gonna get stuff thrown at you probably um you're gonna be playing on a floor outside um that's something that we need to consider too is that if we're gonna encourage our staff to play and get down and dirty we're gonna have to be a little more lax
1: (laughs) Mm, let them let them wear stuff that is easier to move in
0: Uh uh-huh definitely
1: and and you know i hadn't really thought about that because my company is is they're like, yeah, like you, is there's definitely a dress code for like certain aspects, but it's more, yeah. it's more having to do with cultural norms. Not so much the, you have to look like your business. In fact, um, I'm wearing one of the shirts I wear at work. It's uh, a <laughs> red hot data taker. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And it's, it's just a t-shirt I have and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and, and that's the big thing is like, yeah, we need, to, we need to have fun. Uh, I will throw out there, um, tailor your um, your presentation to the person because there are some people who don't want to be animated, some people who would prefer to be more calm. Um, got a, quite a yeah. few clients who are like that where it's like, you're weird <laughs> and, and they want to be the more calm, but that doesn't mean you can't, tailor that approach Uh, another history professor of mine very calm very soothing relaxing voice but he would drop little references in and he'd tell little jokes in the most subtle of ways And, and every his classes were always full always full and um like the way that i um the way that i act Around one client isn't the way that I'm going to act around another. Not because I'm changing who I am, but I'm presenting a part of myself that that is more appealing to them. Yeah. Um, I'm all those things. Like I can be very calm. It's really funny. The other day up uh, here was like, Brian, are you okay? I'm like, I'm just focused. It's okay. <laughs> Right. You know, I'm just, you're really quiet. I'm like, well, that happens sometimes. Like it, it's all right. Like we can, we can be yeah. multidimensional as people because that's what people are. We're not robots. We don't, um, we don't do just one thing all day, every day. And we need to let the, our clients know that too. Um, so, you know, like sometimes um, we have another client who uh, in the past struggled with, um, some aggression and stuff uh, and it would be because of stuff that happened at school and 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 he would take it out on like because there's demands being placed and and that sort of thing and we we worked on making sure we were very, very trauma-informed and and kind and that sort of thing but sometimes that that frustration internally happens and we were working on the act stuff so that way he could learn how to to cope with that and how to stick up for himself Oh yeah. Um because that's a big part of that too. Um but like so we we one time had a really big behavior and um I I got him out of it by asking him how he felt. And and he's like, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how do you think I feel? Like I don't have to, we don't have to maintain constant neutrality on everything. Um, In that particular circumstance, I asked him, how do I feel? Like, I maintained neutral in that I wasn't getting mad at him or crying or anything Mm -hmm. like that, but I'm like, how do I feel? How do you think I feel? And he's like, bad? Like, yeah, I feel really bad right now. I'm really worried about my friend. And I'm really sad that he's taking out his, his frustration and anger on me. Uh, That that feels bad. And I really want you to be okay. I want to, I want to help. So how can I help? What can we do? If you don't know, I can make suggestions. Yep. Uh, Like, but what, what do you want to do? And, and we talked it through, you know, he had, he he wasn't, you know, articulate like an adult or even an older teenager, but we, we talked it through at his level um, where he was at. And, when we came out the other side, he's like, "Brian, can I have a hug?" And I'm over here like, "Hold back the tears." Yes, you can have a hug. <laughs> and it, it that is N.E.T.
0: It is right and there. It is phenomenal. I mean, kids that too. Um, when you say be calm. So I had a kiddo that I worked with, and I always said he. Re- me of Cornholio from Beavis and Butthead because he would go from being like this sweet, adorable, and then he would start playing with stuff, and you know, there's noise all around, and people are talking, and we're asking him to do things, and you would see him go completely rigid. Uh-huh. It was like wing, wing, wing wing, wing, all over the place to the point where there would be aggression. And mm. it was like, okay, so. At this point, we need to really pay attention to this body language Mm -hmm. and cut back on the outside noise um, or get him to say, hey, can you guys be quiet? Mm -hmm. Um, The day he told me to be quiet was the best day of my life. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and you probably didn't worry about the please did you you were just like no yep no. you honored you honored the communication because politeness no. we can shape later let's worry about the communication right <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you, you
0: you didn't uh try to attack me you told me to be quiet I'm quiet for the rest of the show <laughs> like, you will not hear another word um <laughs> and then over time I mean and this this is a teenager over time he learned to tolerate the fact that I'm a little bit Gabby um, and he'd kind of give me a look and he'd be like, all, all done, all done. Okay. We're all, we're all done. Um,
1: well, and that very... actually, that brings up perfectly the toleration thing. Cause like uh, we all have to learn to tolerate certain things. Like that's the way life works. Like light, the world is filled with, with aversive stimuli, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And and if we can control the environment, definitely. But Um, Like loud noises uh, are definitely not a preferred stimuli for me, but whenever I go someplace that has a subway or metro or something like that, unfortunately, it's loud. And if you want to ride and not spend an arm and a leg on taxis or parking spots or whatever, you got to learn to tolerate it. Um, same thing for hot conditions. I am very sensitive to heat. I am not a fan of being hot. Um, but I had to learn how to tolerate that. And the, the way that we learn to tolerate it, I think when we're working with individuals, students, children, clients, whatever you want to like the way that we need to do it is with kindness and understanding and, um, and, and in natural settings, not, Uh, staging aversiveness and being like, ha, I got you. I'm going to put you under a (laughs) heat lamp. Like, no, 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 please. No, dear God. No, stop, stop. No, don't do that. But like that, that circumstance you you described is actually a very natural environment to learn how to tolerate um, and communicate. That was a (laughs) functional man. So that client communicated what he wanted and like, it's going to get noisy so it wasn't like you were like, no, we're not going to get noisy, but you were aware of it. And then over time, he learned to tolerate it. Yep. And, and there you go.
0: But he also learned at any point in time, he could just be like, all right, I'm all done. Because, you know, and it, it took really, I mean, he, he was a teenager. So I sat down and I said, I'm like, look, um, if I'm annoying you, I annoy a lot of people like, please tell me and I will stop. And he just kind of looked at me like, huh, um, what's oh, going
1: yeah. on? <laughs> and this is coming from an adult? Time, what? <laughs>
0: yeah, the next time I was like, you know, doing my conversation thing, and he just looked at me, and he was like, be quiet. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I did. And and after that, you know, he, he kind of gave me a little because I gave him a little, mm-hmm. and I modeled that behavior of like hey if you if you tell me I don't know that this is I mean I know something is bothering you because obviously you hit me, but i don't know what it is, mm. so to just let me know. Um, I could guess it was because I was talking too much, but wasn't sure it, it could have been the pitch of my voice, it could have been anything yeah you know, and people would say, oh, the behavior comes out of nowhere. It doesn't come out of nowhere. There's something, um, it could be medical, it could be a number of factors, yeah. but in my case, it was just the fact that I was spending too much time talking and he was trying to do something else. I didn't want to hear what I had to say. Yeah. Um, and rightfully so (laughs) I mean I I was that that was a huge aha moment for me that it's like okay and then I had another client that was younger that was the same way and what it was is he would get overstimulated with the video game and he just simply couldn't ask for a break
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and so you know when we'd see him to get that rigid behavior we'd be like hey uh break please and he would make the break sign and we would do um, like the shoulder squeezes, give him a big hug. The joint
1: compression, yeah.
0: And when you're hugging someone that's tense, I mean, even like people that are listening, just go and, and hug your spouse or hug your child. You'll feel them take like this. It's almost like a release breath.
1: Mm-hmm. That's and- negative. That's negative automatic reinforcement.
0: Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so when we would do that, the behavior, it, it never went into, the aggression dropped significantly because we were catching it before it happened. Yeah. So it, it's really about being observant and catching those moments too. So when you're playing and you're like, oh, like every time we play, this is what happens. Well, let's pay attention to what's really going on here. Yeah. Um,
1: and you know, and, where... and test and test it. Yep. That's a big part of it. And uh, I want to rewind just very briefly and then we're actually about out of time. Um, But there, um, you mentioned something. Uh, I gave a little, he gave a little. You mentioned that. And that stuck with me because that's, that is, that is the, um, the quintessential summary of my experience working with kids is if I give a little, they give a little. And sometimes I have to give a lot, give a lot because yeah. they have a history of, of distrust. And so I need to give a lot before they're willing to trust me. But um, that, that giving is an important part because that's about bu- building that pair, building that rapport, building that relationship. That's what this is all about. Behavior is about relationships. That's why it's significant. Because if we were just lone creatures out in the wilderness, it would be survive or don't. Right. That's, that's, that's how it works. But we're social creatures. We work together. Even if you're less social. um, I've mentioned this friend of mine who is less social before multiple times. And his, his thing is he's okay, not hanging out with people when he's alone, he's alone. And when yeah. he's around people, he's around people. And usually when he's around people is when he's at work. So it's out of necessity. But whenever he and I are around each other, we talk and we have really reinforcing conversations. And there've been multiple days where I've come home an hour and a half, two hours late, and I had to text my wife, say, hey, stuck in a conversation. Um, but it wasn't really stuck because I really enjoyed it. I let her know afterwards about that conversation because we enjoyed being around each other. And so he is a friend, even though we, when weekends happen, I extend invitations to let him know that he's welcome, but I also let him know, hey, if you choose not to come, I am not offended in the least. In fact, you do you. Just know that you're always welcome, and and that's that's it right there. We need to do that with our kids. They're people. This this weird idea that children are property. It's it's so weird. They're not. They're people. They never were property. Just because, just because they came from you, or they're your client, or whatever it is, doesn't mean they're not their own s- s- autonomous individual. So we have to respect that. And that means if you give a little, you get a little.
0: It takes a village. Uh, that is another thing that when I first heard that saying, and I don't know who originally came up with it, but I was like, it does. It yeah. takes knowledge. Um, it, it, we have to be able to identify people's likes and dislikes. And that, that's one of the things I like to teach the kids, too, is like we're playing at the park, we're watching so-and-so. What do you think they like or don't like? Um, and if they don't, if you think they don't like it, don't force them to do it. Just because you like something doesn't mean somebody else is going to like it. Um, We teach all of these concepts, and we do it in play, and we we do it in wonderful ways. But then stuff that they don't like, we we don't find a way to get them to like it. Instead, it's like, you're going to do this because I told you to do it. I think that's the significant part that needs to change.
1: Well, and, and I'll, I'll give a good example of that, chores. Um, chores are struggles. Like, chores mm-hmm. are hard. Um, and in our center, uh, if your um, you're, chores are a part of programming, especially if it's a challenge, but the instructions I give to the RBTs, and I model this, is instead of saying, it's time to do a chore, and then the RBG just stands there, it's like, hey, can you help me do this? Yes. Or would you like me to help you do this? or that sort of thing. And um, one RBT is like, well, I usually do about 90% of it. And I'm like, so what's your point? Like if he's doing it it with you, it's being done. And then, and then what you do is you shape that. So you gradually build that. You have that rapport, you shape it and you're like, Hey, can you grab that for me? And Hey, guess what? It was 89%. And they did 11 and Oh oh, man, I need your help here. Uh, Or, I I can't help you today because I got to take care of this other thing real quick. Could you, could you get started? And I'll jump in as soon as I got this note written. Um, Like it's, it's that give a little. And then they give back. And, and that's the foundation of, of what we do is it's about um, creating those natural contingencies so that it generalizes. And then it comes to the point where um, a mom let me know that one of the kids um, got up from dinner, went to the sink, rinsed their dish, put it in the dishwasher. She's like, who is this kid? And then they went back to the table and they cleared other things off the table and put it in the dishwasher. She's like, who is this kid? And then I was like, so what did you do? And she's like, I gave up and gave him a big hug and said, thank you. And I'm like, perfect. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Perfect.
0: That, get a, give them that little bit of extra. And and I mean, again, I keep saying this, those are the moments we live for. Yeah. Um, that's why we do what we do. And I know it's going to take a lot of time for our profession to change how some people view. Um, it's going to take a lot of work. But identifying the issues and listening to them, because we all know, I mean, it, it's its behavior, we revert back to what we know and what we used in the past. So in order to lessen the attempts of doing that, we have to remember how it affected people, what the outcome was of it, and moving forward, do our best to ensure that we are taking, I call it quality control. Mm -hmm. We have to hear what we're doing wrong in order to fix it we have to be able to admit that hey this is not exactly the right way um so i think as we move forward in a field there's more and more of us that are kind of coming forward and being like hey we've had enough of this yeah. we're gonna talk more about this play stuff we're gonna talk more about this fun way of doing things and we're gonna remember that there has been trauma mm-hmm um, in our and, field
1: and we're and we as a field are responsible
0: absolutely
1: and part of that responsibility is commitment to stop and change and improve
0: yeah.
1: and, and that's that's and a really perspective
0: Listen yep. and take the perspective of the person that 's telling us this don 't just shut them down. yeah, voices need to be heard, and you need to find a way to help one another.
1: And I would add on, on this particular topic, when you hear somebody share um, about how they've been hurt or traumatized, your, your instinctual reaction is to say, well, I don't do that. And it, it's so hard not to. I've done it. I've said it. And you know what? I, I regret it. The best thing to do is to say, thank you for sharing that. Yep. That's, that's the best thing that we can do. And the best thing that we can do is to put that knowledge to action. And, and that's, where, that's why I'm such a big fan of trauma-informed behavior analysis and trauma-informed care in all human services, period. Yes. It needs to be in all of them. Teaching, uh, hospitals, I've heard some horrendous things that have happened in psych wards and in regular hospitals when someone's having a hard time. Um, like it, it just needs to be the basic standard. Like it, it can't be something that is a talking point for a center or for a place to say, you know, Oh yeah, well we do trauma informed care. So that's why you should be coming to us. Really what it should be is it should be the basic level of expectation across the board.
0: And I say actions speak louder than words. So when we get online and we say, oh, not my ABA or I don't do that, um, that's a lot of talk. And it, if you look at it from RFT, mm-hmm. we can talk about it. But if people aren't coming into contact with the contingency, the frame is very weak. Yeah. So we need to start showing in our actions, this is what we're doing. We don't need to talk about it and, and tell the world, like, hey, you know, we have this great X, Y, Z. No, we just show it. This yep. is what we do. Um, this is how we do it. And that's okay. Um, you're not discrediting anybody's experience, but you're just showing You know like training on how like hey this is what i expect from my staff from my my people from my parents etc and that takes that that component out of there to say not me yeah i can guarantee every single one of us have done like i've ran eye contact um programs not proud of too have it traumatized me Mm -hmm. um it traumatized my client Am I in a position now where I don't have to? Yes. Thank God. Um, but not everybody is in that position so or ready to be in it even. Yeah. So we just have to work together to keep showing, like, hey, we don't have to do these things. We can do them this way. This is how And model the behavior, and I say this over and over again, we need to model the behavior we want to see from
1: others. Yeah. Reinforce the change that we want to see in the world is, is yeah. my is my slightly modified Gandhi saying.
0: <laughs> I, I love it. I, I'm like, I, I'm so glad that I found you and Ryan and, and, and Brett and Polly, like you guys have been like really huge in, at a time. And, and it's odd because I found you you all on Facebook at a time where I was struggling if this is really what I wanted to do with my life and really struggling to the point where did I just waste eight years of schooling for something that I'm never going to be able to do because it's horrifying for me. Yeah. And then when I, I found you guys on Facebook and I started watching and I was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> there it is, there it is. And, you know, I, and then you invited me to the group and I, and I started listening and I was like, this is exactly what my, you know, my mind has been saying, like, this is what needs to be done so I think and two, we need to find our tribe.
1: Yeah. Well and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm thankful
0: <laughs> for you guys. Just please know that.
1: <laughs> I am I am flattered beyond belief that you put me up there with Ryan and and, and, and Brad and Polly and, and Brett because those guys those guys influenced me. Um, they they they're the ones that, that were the big influencer to, well, I can do this. So, Mm -hmm. so thank you. That, that is a, that is a, a a beautiful compliment. And, and I hope I actually, I I
0: think when we're we're in this field, we feel like we don't. So again, here we go. We don't fit into our social environment. Mm -hmm. Um, You start to back off and wonder like, Hey, do I actually belong here? But then, you know, Like, I need to move forward because this is what's right. And you get that cognitive dissonance or struggle within yourself. Like, you're fighting yourself. So when you find others that are like-minded, that are on the same track, it's just like that's where you really take off, I feel, as a person and a professional. Yep. Not saying that everybody is perfect and one is better than the other because everyone brings – you know, good ideas and, and such to the table, but really, I don't feel alone anymore. <laughs> and that is, and and to be able to talk on a podcast, I've never ever. I can't even talk during a Zoom meeting <laughs> because I get so like tripped up over my words. And you know, my my job is always like, hey, you're supposed to participate during these things, and it's like I don't feel like. I'm always with like-minded individuals and if I don't feel like I'm with that it it doesn't reinforce me to speak so um, I think that you guys reaching out and doing the groups and doing everything that you're doing encourages people like me to come out and be like hey I'm here (laughs) And, and I'm ready for this
1: well thank you thank you so much well, we're we're about up with time. I actually have a, another appointment I need to run to. But um, thank you so much for coming on, Gina. Um, oh, thank you. It's been a real pleasure, and I hope to have you on again um, if yeah. you're if you're comfortable with it. Um, just a reminder, folks. Obehave is an open source education podcast, which means you can uh, use a whole and part towards education and and dissemination of behavior analysis, Um, the only requirement is that you cite your source um, so that folks can come back and find us. So uh, thank you so much for joining us, and I hope you have an excellent day.